0: Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts, PFFs, Rookies, and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm Austin Gale with my guy, John Dorsey. Oh, actually, it's Mike Rayner with me today, but I love the outfit. You're looking fantastic. Thank you, Baker. I I decided to be Baker Mayfield today. I feel like I'm not... 100% A hundred percent there, but I feel like I'm close. Mm-hmm. Definitely close. Uh remember you can tune into the two for- <laughs> the beard. Yeah. You can tune in to two for one Drafts live on YouTube Tuesdays and Thursdays. We're also streamed on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. We're gonna go ahead and dive right into this one. Schedule for today, we're gonna go what's on tap. That's our segment where we talk about some of the top prospect matchups coming into the weekend. We're we're ending almost near the end of the college football season. Yeah. It's, it's, it's coming to a close. Not a ton on tap. We also have an interview with Trevor Sikama, the, uh, a member of the, I think he's a senior draft senior. analyst yes. at the Draft Network. That's a fun one. He was a lot of fun. And then we'll also dive into our draft spooky specials, Halloween edition. Oh. Get ready for that draft special segment. We're going to talk about some of the rookies in the NFL that we haven't had a chance to talk about in previous podcasts, but we are excited to talk to now. We spent the hour before this watching a ton of film, grinding it up a bit, and I think we're ready to rock and roll. Diving right into what's on tap. Florida takes on the University of Georgia. This one's a good one. one. We've been talking about Jonathan Greedard and Jabari Zuniga all season long, expecting big, big things from them. Let's talk. We'll start with those two who will potentially see some of Andrew Thomas.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so we want Zuniga back on the field. He missed last week against South Carolina, has had injury issues throughout the season, only 114 snaps. We need to see him, and we need to see him against good competition because he whooped Tennessee Martin's ass, whooped Miami's ass, freshman freshman tight end slash tackle. He, he can beat up the bad guys. That has value in the NFL if you can beat up the bad guys. But in college, if that's all you're whooping, if that's all you're beating up, you're basically uh, Bud Dupree coming up. That was Ooh. Bud Dupree's sort of uh, claim to fame in college was he would beat up the bad tackles, not show up against the good ones. To me, I have question marks about Zuniga being able to play against better o- offensive tackles. So we need to see him go up against Andrew Thomas, this Georgia offensive line that's fantastic. Him and Greenard, big test for them. Hopefully, they're both back healthy. Hopefully, they're both playing in this one.
0: Let's talk talk a little bit more about Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for the University of Georgia. Six foot five, 320 pounds. He's graded really well to start this year. A 91.2 overall grade for Andrew Thomas and a 90.8 run blocking grade. A road grader for the University of Georgia. He's a guy that's risen up your board in recent weeks. Yeah. I think he's also a guy that could go in the top half of the first round. He's that good.
1: Yeah, this offensive tackle class is very interesting for a number of reasons. One is because you have a lot of the guys who are at the top of this class, uh, Andrew Thomas, uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Alex Leatherwood of Alabama, uh, Tristan Wirfs of Iowa, obviously Andrew Thomas of Georgia, and then Jedrick Wills of Alabama, all true juniors. Mm-hmm. So it's rare to see guys, think back to last year's class, uh, Juwan Taylor was a true junior, but Andre Dillard uh, was you know a redshirt senior, Jonah Williams a true junior, but not often is all the top guys or all the top guys true juniors because obviously tackle is a position that takes a while to develop and guys just aren't physically strong enough usually at 20 21 years old to be able to hold up and be top prospects at that position and dominate in college these guys are Andrew Thomas is a physical freak of nature incredibly explosive offensive lineman Uh, I think he has the highest run blocking grade in the country right now because of that excuse me not the highest third highest run blocking grade in the country because he is just physically dominant pass pro is still a work in progress. So that's why I want to see him go up against some of the best. This is a really good matchup for all three of these guys in terms of you'll be coming back to this tape. If you're a scout next spring projecting to the draft and if he shows out well, Inter Thomas in this one, uh, you know he'll be moving up some draft boards in the ot1 conversation
0: let's go back to jonathan greenard a bit jabari suniga obviously battling injuries we would like to see him in this game but so has greenard he's battling a little bit of an ankle issue he says he's about 85 mm-hmm. percent. but in the tampa bay times here they asked him if he's playing he said no excuses i'm playing but uh, he's all in i feel good no excuses i'm playing so we will see in the, him in this game and to dive into his stats a little bit in 91.6 overall grade across 296 defensive snaps so far this year 89.9 passers grade largely in inflated by good games against Miami of Florida and Tennessee. But this is a guy that really surprised us early on. And I think win healthy, hopefully that ankle's a little bit better than 85%. He could maybe give Andrew Thomas a run for his money. I don't see a five pressure game mm-hmm. for Jonathan Greenard, but you'd like to see him beat him a handful of times to know you can project him to go beat better offensive tackle.
1: And that's the thing is his worst game so far. this season came against Auburn and they have two tackles that are draftable tackles. Have, you know, Jack Driscoll on the right side, Prince Teguinoga on the left side there. That was by far his worst game. He struggled to win the edge against Jack Driscoll, who was a more athletic tackle, Going up against Andrew Thomas, athletic tackle in his own right. Can he win the edge? Because that's going to be a necessary thing at the NFL level with him being a more of a kind of an undersized pass rusher. You're not going to win uh, purely with inside and bull rush moves at his size, I don't think.
0: Let's go into our next game. Thailand Wallace will be seeing a little bit of TCU cornerback. um. Jeff Gladney. And to Tylan Wallace, we actually, when we were talking with Trevor Sickema, he threw some praise at Trevor Tyler Wallace. He really liked him, liked him too. Emmanuel Sanders. I think, little rich for me. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I think with Tylan, Tylan Wallace, I still want to see him improve in one on one situations, improve as a route runner, see that he can create separation when it isn't off coverage, when it isn't an underneath route. But I will say this his production in the Big 12 is insane. Tyler Wallace has been oh. outstanding to start this year. Great after the catch, forcing missed tackles at reckless abandon. At Iowa State, seven missed tackles. Tackles on eight receptions. Insane. Gaining a ton of yards after the catch. Tylen Wallace will be going against a little bit of Jeff Gladney, who's graded well in the past for us, but maybe not having the same year he had in 2018, but still a good matchup for Wallace. Yeah,
1: it hasn't been near in terms of the pass breakups, but I think the efficiency is still there, uh, only allowing 45.7% of his targets on the season. And this is a speed versus speed matchup. Tylen Wallace doesn't have that inherent sort of. Uh, speed advantage that he's had basically over every cornerback he's faced this year. So he can't just run in a straight line and get open down the football field. Glad he's going to be there step for step with them. Glad he's probably gonna run the four threes at the combine uh, next spring. So I I do anticipate this being a good matchup uh, for Uh, both of them proving themselves because Wallace, for his speed, has been good over the course of his career in contested catch situations, better than you'd expect for you know more of an undersized receiver. And so I think that'll be nice to see because they pump Wallace targets there. He's going to get 10-plus targets in this game. We just saw Gladney targeted 16 times this past weekend against Texas. (laughs) I thought he handled himself well. Uh, Yes, he gave up 104 yards, but he broke up three passes of those 16 targets and only allowed nine catches. So I, I do think Gladney is still... Uh, kind of on the outside looking in of the top cornerback group but as a day two prospect he offers a lot from athleticism perspective and ball skills.
0: This is going to be such a good game because like you said he's going to be targeted a ton when he is going against Wallace and coming off a game where he was targeted 16 times yeah. this one he could see similar volume 8, 9 plus targets it's it's good to see that volume too because with the cornerback position you need a large sample size to really feel good about your projection at the next level So seeing guys that are only targeted 20, 30 times it's the biggest thing you're asking for I, I, a name that comes to mind is C.G. Henderson of Florida Mm -hmm. This past year was only targeted, I think, what, 25, 26 times? And the whole offseason, we're banging the table, just target this guy so we could see how he does across a larger sample size. It's good to see that. I think Gladney, a good matchup for him. This will be another one of those tapes that scouts come back to Mm -hmm. when looking at Wallace and Gladney as prospects. Want to move to here, Mississippi State versus Arkansas. Cheyenne O'Grady, I know you love this guy. He's flashed brilliance at times. Great after the catch. Conforced miss tackles. Carried all of Colorado State's defense. I even think the head coach jumped in on that (laughs) play. Still couldn't really bring him down. But e Thompson, an athletic, big linebacker that I think Can project at the next level to be a good coverage linebacker. We watched some of his tape before this. What do you think of that matchup between Earl Thompson, the linebacker for Mississippi State, and Cheyenne O'Grady, the tight end for Arkansas? Yeah,
1: Thompson's a little stiff, but he's explosive, kind of straight line guy. Uh, I think O'Grady is one of the most fluid tight ends in this draft class. He's been exceptional after the catch this season. You think back to... Colorado State. If you go on the website right now, you can watch it. Actually, he had that that ridiculous run after the catch where he basically broke through the whole team there at Colorado State. Uh, It was in our running for it. It's on the draft superlatives article that's up on the website right now where we went through uh, the top plays, top performers top everything from the first half of the college football season but here he has eight broken tackles on 33 catches uh, one of the best figures of any tight end in the country this year so I think getting him some targets against that linebacking core maybe even Willie Gay Jr. plays in this game uh, he was expected to play last week didn't end up playing he might be back healthy there for Mississippi State one of the fastest linebackers in the country too so that linebacker core for Mississippi State all draftable guys we'll see how they go up against Cheyenne Grady
0: I think Thompson and getting gay in there would be huge because that would be the best matchup Grady is going to face mm. all year, so yeah. running across the middle and things like that. that. And if he's, he's forcing those guys to miss tackles and breaking away from those guys, I think you're going to start hearing Grady, that name, a lot more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah, we're going pack Pac-12 now. A little Pac-12 after dark action. I don't know if this game's actually played no, after dark. in the middle. Okay, the well, whatever, man. Pac-12 <laughs> before the dark. Utah at Washington. Edge defender Bradley and going against Trey Adams. Two, def- two guys that have been hyped up quite a bit. Bradley and we've talked about him on the podcast. He's that Utah edge defender who doesn't have great athleticism, you don't love his burst off the snap, mm-hmm. but he's a technician. He uses his hands very well. He looks like a veteran in that yes. regard and how he uses his hands and with Trey Adams, he's a mountain. He's you know a, a huge being human human <laughs> being that has struggled with injuries a bit, but he's a guy that we're not as high on as others are. I think Trey Adams on a lot of people's boards in the off season was in in that first round conversation, top end of the first round. Mm-hmm. We see him a little bit differently. I think this is a good matchup for Adams and Anae.
1: Yeah, so he has serious injury concerns now, uh, Trey Adams, after torn ACL and a neck injury that kept him out of most of the last two seasons. That's why he's back uh, at this point. But he's rebounded nicely. Only seven pressures allowed this year, 78.9 pass blocking grade. That's a career high for him. So uh, he's getting back to the form that people had expected from early on his career, but really hasn't faced an edge rusher worth a damn so far this season, uh, through the first half of this season. So I think going up against an A, 90.8 pass rushing grade, like you mentioned, a technician, a guy who will give you uh, his best snap in and snap out, a guy who who, who rushes like a NFL sort of pass rusher in terms of uh, he is very technically sound. He gets upfield and then he reacts off of the offensive tackle, not the other way around. So he, if he gives him fits like we saw with Chase Young last year in the bowl game, not Chase Young, a little different animal in his own right, but if he gives him fits in this one, I think it'll be very indicative of Trey Adams, how his development's gone here.
0: I think you made a great point there. He rushes the ball and reacts off the offensive lineman. I think mm-hmm. he rushes with a plan. He goes yeah. into the every every pass rush snap with a plan. You can see that on tape. There are so many edge defenders that maybe are maybe more athletic, more gifted than Bradley and A, but run in there with reckless abandon, they're kind of arms flapping around. He's the opposite. Yes. But the reason you have reservations for an a is that maybe he isn't the level of athlete some of the other edge defenders are in this
2: class.
1: Yeah, so, so many pass rushers at the college level will have their move predetermined. And you can see it from a mile away. They're, they come off the snap and they're going to do X. And then they do X. And it doesn't matter what the offensive lineman did. They're trying to run their move. In the NFL, that's not really how it works. Guys uh, you know, react to the tackle and not the other way around. They're not predetermining what they're going to do. A lot of the good ones. now Some people still do, obviously. But the good ones react off of the offensive lineman. And I think that's what a is at this point. Now, he's not necessarily uh like you said the most explosive the most talented but I think he already has that pass rushing sort of feel down.
0: Talking to Brian Burns' this previous you know, before last year's draft, he was saying that he would enter every pass or snap with a move in mind, but also a series of counters off the back end. Mm-hmm. He'd say, you know, this is the move I'm going to try if he steps this way or if the if the get off is like this. But he'll also be so quick to abandon two other moves to plan B and plan C, mm-hmm. depending on you know, how is his get off, how is how the offensive tackle come out of his break and all that stuff. So I think having a move in mind before a snap, not not necessarily predetermining your move, but Having a pass rush move in mind before the snap is important, but you can't be locked into that move, like a quarterback being locked into the slant route, things like that. Um, Let's go ahead and move forward. SMU at Memphis. This was TJ Carter, a guy who graded really well for us last year. I love watching his tape in the summer. He's now also kind of blossoming into another good year. He's going to go against James Prochet, Reggie Roberson, a, a team of good wide receivers at SMU. Prochet, I think the better prospect. But I, I think T.J. Carter, this will be a good matchup for him.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be a really good matchup because at Memphis, you're just not going to see a ton of NFL sort of talent. Proche certainly is that uh, for SMU. We've talked about him before, but T.J. Carter, uh, great speed. Uh, I think he just does not worry about getting beat deep there at Memphis. It uh, was tested a lot early on in his career. Ninety three targets in 2018, 78 last uh, in 2017. QBs have wised up, only 28 targets so far this year, only 15 catches for 158 yards uh, in his coverage. So this would be nice because, again, he's a a junior. could come back next year, but if you dominate a guy like uh, James Proche, James uh, Proche, in this one, one, then all of a sudden, again, this is one of those things where we talk about this is the scouts turn on the tape against other good players. You're not watching them go against Tennessee Martin. You're not watching them go against FCS schools. You're not watching them go against Southern or Navy to see what a guy can do. If you're only picking a handful of games, you're going to pick this one. So if he dominates, I think this would be huge for his draft stock. And I like him as a mid round corner.
0: There you go. Oregon at USC going back to the PAC 12. D'Amidore Lenoir, who roasted Esau, Winston Jr. and the rest of Washington State's wide receiver helped himself core. well. It, it, it was a great game for him there. Yeah. He's going against an even better wide receiver core in USC: yes. Michael Pittman, Tyler Vaughns, Amon Saint. No, I'm l- I'm Saint mixing Bro. them all. I'm mixing them all, but. Uh Lenoir, Pittman, it's, all these, it's, it's going to be a good matchup for Lenoir. They play a ton of press at Oregon. That's where you get to see a ton of those one-on-one matchups. I'm excited to see him specifically go against Pittman and Vons. I think this is a huge opportunity, like you said, tape for people to go back to. This is a huge opportunity for them to go back to this tape if Lenoir has a good day.
1: Yeah, Lenoir, physical, but not necessarily. I worry about his uh, size. He doesn't necessarily. Uh, he's listed at 200 pounds. He doesn't feel 200 pounds or at least maybe it's just he doesn't have the length that you'd expect from a normal six-foot corner. So I do worry about him holding up and press. But if you can press Michael Pittman, you know, they play a lot of press at Oregon. If you're going to press Michael Pittman, who's six four, two twenty, 220, and hold him at the line of scrimmage and hold your own in this one, hey, then I, maybe I won't have as much reservations for him projecting to the NFL. There's not going to be a lot more physical guys than Pittman that you face in the league. So I do think that this is a nice proving ground for him, but at the same time, a nice proving ground for Pittman because he can uh, go up against a physical corner. He can face press. He's going to, uh, you always want to see that as a skill, you know, a feather in a guy's cap to have coming out in the NFL.
0: Absolutely. Lemoire fantastic so far this year. A 79.6 coverage grade for him has not allowed a ton of receptions in coverage. And playing as much press as he is and seeing as many one-on-ones, high coverage grades in that kind of system, you take to a little bit more than maybe zone-heavy systems where he's playing off mm-hmm. a lot more and things like that. I think Lamar, as much as he's playing, like like Ohio State, yeah. when you're playing that kind of system game in and game out and not you know, still producing from a high level from a coverage standpoint, I think you start to get excited. I'm yeah, starting he, to get excited. He's been
1: impressed almost 50% of his snaps this That's year, insane. which is a high. It's a high rate. Right.
0: Right, no, after going on What's on Tap, that's going to do it for this, uh, the college games we're previewing for this weekend. We're going to dive right into that interview with Trevor Sykema, so go ahead and look into that. It was a lot of fun talking to Trevor from the Draft Network. He gave some good insight on Tylen Wallace, among some other prospects. Go ahead and listen to that. Now with Trevor Sykema of the Draft Network. Trevor, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. You are our first guest on the 2 for 1 Drafts mm-hmm. podcast. We're pretty excited for it.
2: Wow. Um. Yeah, no, like I said, uh, honored. Um maybe not as fully deserving but i'll i'll just be the appetizer you know i'll be the appetizer for what is coming throughout the course of what's going to be great on this podcast so i'll take it i'll be, i'll be the first act i'm cool with that fantastic uh let's go get
0: right into it first thing is you know i want to talk about your role at the draft network it's a company that's really exploded over the past year plus now and i think i want to know what you're what you're doing with the draft network and your plans there
2: yeah so working at the draft network's been a blast uh this is something that we started at the beginning of what would be The 2019 draft cycle. So about a year ago. Um, And it's just kind of a a small team of us, about 10 of us uh, really putting all hands on deck on a lot of different things. And uh, what we get to do, which has been a lot of fun, is with the guys that we have, we get the freedom to scout exactly the way that we want to and really take that towards a collective of what the company ends up becoming and, and what we're able to represent, have consensus boards and things like that. And so really when we hit the ground running, what we wanted to do is just give people a comprehensive tool at the draft network to view, understand, learn, and just experience what is the NFL draft as a fan in any way that they could. So whether it was feature articles about a prospect, film reviews, you know, video or audio. Uh mock drafts, certainly prospect rankings, all kinds of big boards and then what we did last year rolling out the mock draft machine, which is not just tell people like, "Hey, this guy is good, you should like him" or "Hey, here's a mock draft of mine that you should read." What we always try to do with the draft network, and we have a motto, it's kind of called "be the expert," and that's what we want to do. We want to teach people, but then we want to also give them the tool to, hey, go out and uh, you can be your own draft expert, right? And we want to not only educate you to 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 be on that platform, but we want to give you the ability to show that too. So that's why we have the build your own big board tool, the mock draft machine, where if you think you know a lot about a mock draft or a, a draft class or a certain team, we want you to have the freedom and the ability to go in and create your own mock draft, create your own set of rankings. You don't just got to listen to us. We all have opinions and that's why this is so much fun. And so that's just been great about working at TDN over the last year is being able to interact with a lot of draft fans. And I'm sure you guys know the draft audience grows exponentially every single year. So the things that you get to interact with people and teach with people and the conversations that you get to have that's been so much fun. I'm a senior draft analyst. I guess that's my title. I probably should have said that right off the bat. But it's been great because I get to have my hand in so many different things, whether it is the web development side of it or um, wondering what analytics we want to put into a, a certain formula or um, looking at different types of film grades or just collaborating on different projects. We're all hands on deck in a lot of what we get to do, which has been fun for me to enjoy so much of the process of bringing a lot of this NFL draft information to the fans. Yeah, we love That
1: mock draft tool. I know I use it a ton. Uh, It's love it so much. We might actually try to copy it here at PFF (laughs) sometime in the future. But uh, you touched on something earlier that you touched on the fact that you all, all the TDN guys have kind of autonomy in terms of their evaluations. You have your own process, but how do you guys, how, how are you guys set up in terms of you have this consensus board? Is there like a GM and then a funnel down? You said you're a senior analyst. Do you have... Hot more say than someone else because I know here at PFF now I have big board control with other people helping me out with how to sort of comprise that. How does it right. work for you guys in that consensus board? What is kind of the uh, setup there for the draft network?
2: Yeah, so what we do is we have the group of each of us. You know, I I, I, I don't want to refer to us as scouts, but I guess like we'll, we'll say that we're scouts. You know, working on this this scouting website, and so. What we wanted to do in creating this consensus big board, and and that's a lot of what people see when they run that mock draft machine, Um, what we do is it's actually a collaboration and a collection of each of our personal rankings. So what we wanted to do was make sure that we all have our own big board and that our big board stays true to what we believe the order of the prospects should be, okay? We go into this big board process thinking, where would I put this player? That's at least my part of it. And so I will create my own big board of, say, 150, 200 players the way that I see them. And then the rest of the group will have how they see it. And what we do is we have a scoring system and a weighted system where we put all of that into kind of a little machine or an algorithm, if you will, and that pops out almost like an aggregate of what, a consensus board would be amongst the group and what we think. Now, we will then, as a group, take a look at that, and especially when it comes to the mock draft machine, go, okay, this guy might go a little bit higher than where we might have consensus to work on a machine, but we also have two separate boards between the predictive and what's going on in the machine and then the consensus of what we think overall. So it really is – I like the way that we set it up because – Instead of all coming together and there being a lot of voices in the room and going, all right, who's number one? And then we just have this debate. What we get to do is create our own big boards the way that we want to create them, how we truly see the class. And then we're able to put it in something that kind of brings it all together as a group. We'll go over it in that way, making sure there's nobody that's way too low or way too high one way or the other. But that's normally how we smooth things out. And I think it's been a really great process to allow some some really – Uh, smart scouting minds that I think that we have on staff to stay true to their evaluations and their eyes of what they see when we create those kind of consensus uh, projects.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, man. It sounds like there's so much that goes into it across the whole team at the Draft Network. Definitely recommend all of our listeners to check out thedraftnetwork.com. Whether you're looking for feature articles or the draft, the mock draft machine, it all sounds amazing. I also want to get into now that we're in this, you know, college football season. I want to hear on some guys that you're evaluating right now that you may maybe a little bit higher on than most. I know Mike has a handful that Jared Pickney of oh, Vanderbilt. God. He's higher on him than most. Oh, okay, I, there I, we go. I would love to hear some of the guys that you're 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 looking at right now that you think are maybe a little bit better than what the national kind of consensus is right now.
2: Well, I guess I'll uh I'll stick with the tight end train. Um, I'll say that Bryson Hopkins is a guy that I really, really like the tight end out of Purdue. I just think he hasn't been used a ton. Man, when I've watched Bryson Hopkins, he's about 6'5, 240, 250. You know, he he's got more of a slender type for what you would say a tight end, but we know that when we watch the NFL game, they're trying to find these mismatch players, right? And when I watch Hopkins play he reminds me a good bit of what Evan Ingram was. And this is just like a guy who should not be able to move as well as he does for a tight end. And he's already at a career high in catches already seven games in. He's at 34, but the averages are a little bit less than they should be this year. I wish that Purdue was using him a little bit more because I really do think that, that, um, that this guy could be special. Javon Kinlaw is a guy who I would have said probably a couple weeks ago, but, Everybody's kind of catching up to him, right? I mean, like yeah, he's a geez. monster yeah. on South Carolina, whether it's run defense or just absolutely bullying guys outside of the pocket, having a bull rush to push right back into that quarterback space. We've seen how much the NFL loves to prioritize those guys who can get that interior pressure, right? The ball was snapped and all of a sudden that guy's getting skated back straight into where the quarterback's dropping back to. That's so valuable. And I think that's going to have a lot of value there. Tylen Wallace would have been another guy who – I said, hey, I know he's out in the Big 12. I know he's putting up a crap ton of stats, and everybody in the Big 12 puts out great stats, but this kid's special, man. He Ben, Benjamin Solak, uh, one of my co-hosts and, and uh, co-worker at the Draft Network, he likened him to Emmanuel Sanders, like what Emmanuel Sanders can do for an offense is a slot guy, an outside guy, a great route runner, a guy who can get stuff after the catch, who's got great body control and good speed. That's Tywin Wallace to me. Another guy I don't think he's getting talked about a ton, Marcus Bailey, another another Purdue guy. I guess I'm a I guess I'm like a surrogate <laughs> Purdue fan at this point. Purdue, uh, I don't, know. Think you're the I don't only, know. You're the only, only one. Yeah. We got here, but really like Marcus Bailey because especially in this linebacker class. However you view Isaiah Simmons, some say like, oh, you know he's a he's a stretch kind of safety, or no, you still put him at linebacker. Wherever you see him, he'd probably be the top guy because of how much of a freak mismatch neutralizer he is for his size and speed. But after that, there was Dylan Moses who's now coming off a torn ACL, who's the next linebacker. And as we kind of searched for that, as I was going through scouting in the summer, Marcus Bailey popped out to me at Purdue as he's a guy who's hurt as well, but a mm-hmm. player who did really nice things in coverage. You could tell that the experience and the extra years of starting for him have really helped out. And playing linebacker, man, we all like to focus on the tackles. Sometimes the tackles for loss but the guys who are going to make it the next level are the guys who aren't going to look totally lost in man coverage, right. And, or in zone coverage. So when I watch Marcus Bailey, I think that this guy's head and shoulders above a lot of other linebacker prospects as a guy who really understands zone knows how to drop, has the athleticism to get where he wants to go. So I'd say that those are a handful of guys, there, at least in the top five, I'd say I'm, I'm higher on than most.
1: Bailey second ACL injury. That one's going to hurt him, but I want to talk about Hopkins just real quick. For me, are you worried at all about his ball skills? Because he has now 19 drops on 122 catchable passes in our, in his career for our charting, which is like, that's Noah Fant level. And we've seen how, it, how it's right. worked out for Noah Fant so far. Are you worried at all about that? I know some of them. He he has better ball skills from, for my money than Noah Fant, who Noah Fant was just the worst ball skills I've ever seen. Uh, but is, is that, how, how much do drops, I guess, play an issue? Uh, in your scouting when you're scouting tight end wide receiver is that a big factor or is that kind of like we can fix that if a guy has that issue
2: well as someone who caved hard for Noah in last year's process I would assume that I have to cave pretty hard for <laughs> uh, uh, Bryce Hopkins here no but it, it is an issue to a point but I do think that when I look at this and when I'm scouting you know you, you, we talk about all the time of things you can't teach, certainly athleticism and mm-hmm. and how smooth you can run routes and some of that can be helped with technique, but a lot of that stuff guys just have. You know, guys are you know that have that short area explosiveness, they have that long speed, they have that strength, vertical ability, whatever it is. There's all those things that you can't teach. Catching, I've always thought, is something that can be fixed, but it is a mentality at some point with some guys, and if the sample size is large enough, then that no longer just becomes a sample size, that becomes who you are, right? And so Mm -hmm. I'm not worried at that point yet with Hopkins. And I would still say, yeah, it's something to monitor, but I really think that, hey, you get the right coaching around this guy, you're running the right drills, you get the right mentality into him, you could fix it at the next level, he can become more reliable. That's where I currently am. But there's no doubt about it, that if these things continue, like I said, it no longer becomes just something we point out as, hey, can you fix this? It becomes This is who you are as a prospect and a player. And so it's worth noting, but as of right now, for me – I'm I'm still cool with it. I'm not too I'm not too much. I'm trusting what I see on the tape with this guy when he does get that ball.
0: You know, staying on the drops conversation, Mike and I actually talked about it on our Tuesday podcast, talking about how drop not all drops are created equal. Mm-hmm. And when you look at a guy that has a, course, t- yeah. has a ton of focus drops, like an Amari Cooper or Tyler Johnson of Minnesota, guys that are not catching the football because they're approaching it wrong, but drop or not dropping the football because they're approaching it wrong, but dropping it because focus is elsewhere. They're moving upfield and things like that. With Noah Fant and maybe even with Hopkins, you have to kind of decide whether or not not. Those are ball skills drops or you're approaching the ball poorly, not identifying where that thing's going to go and dropping it that way. Or are they focus drops? I think that's an important distinction. I also wanted to comment a little bit on what you said about Marcus Bailey. And you won't find two guys that don't care about tackles more than me and uh, me and Mike <laughs> here. There is no reason to get all in on the 100 tackle guy at the college level. You need to be able to move. And I think you made a great point about the guys that make it at the next level don't look lost in man and zone coverage. And at the linebacker position, that rings true. You have to be a special athlete, a smooth athlete to be worth it in today's NFL. You don't have to be 250 pounds anymore. You don't have to be a two down right. run stuffer. You have to be able to make it in in coverage and i think that's what you see with isaiah simmons and some other linebackers in this class but with marcus bailey if he does you know if he does have that coverage ability obviously injuries are the biggest question mark with mm-hmm. him right now but if he does have that coverage ability and that above average athleticism i think he's an easier projection than some of these other linebackers maybe purdue other purdue linebackers that are just kind of stuffing the run only and kind of right. don't have that athleticism to translate to the next level let's go ahead and move mean,
2: oh go ahead go ahead. yeah no i was just gonna say like you know we're seeing that I don't want to say the Sam linebackers, you know, becoming extinct or anything, but a lot of times you're nickel anyways, most of the game is played in nickel. And if you're a linebacker on the field in a nickel situation in the NFL, you better be able to drop back. You know, you got to defend the run, but you got to be able to drop back into his zone and play a, a, a curl or a hook or, you know, something like that. You've got to be able to keep your eyes around and have that sense with uh um, to your left or right, guys that might be coming in, chemistry with feeding wide receivers off one way or the other. So that's absolutely the goes into it. And I think the NFL game is pointing to that. Nickel yeah, is no, the new base I was, was going
1: to say the third, <laughs> the third safety is more valuable than the third linebacker.
2: I uh, pretty much every team 100%. in the
0: NFL right now. 100%. Let's go ahead and um, go to some guys that maybe you're lower on that other people are hyping up. Maybe Mike's hyping up a guy that you just hate. I don't know. <laughs> Let's hear about some some of the prospects you're looking at right now that you're just not willing to buy in to the national hype.
2: I think the big ones for me and I don't want to say that like it's going to come off like I hate like I hate these prospects because mm-hmm. that's how all this stuff always happens. Um can't wait for the mentions on this one. <laughs> but Jacob Easton is one that I'm still hesitant on. And I'm actually going to get to go to the Washington Utah game which I'm really excited to do this nice. weekend so um I'm going to get a first hand look at that but I thought Easton just had a lot of struggles when he was during his time at Georgia. And I think that the environment around him, we talk about building a guy's confidence and that being a good thing. But I wonder, maybe I'm just always going to be skeptical of Jacob Beeson since he is such, he's in such a comfortable environment. Now that he is back home in Washington, he's with the Huskies. He's in that offense. He's the guy, no matter what, like this is just tailor made to him and he's having a good year. And I don't want to take that away from him, but when it comes to making the jump to the NFL, and especially being a high quarterback draft pick, like, like I'm hearing him being talked about, you're probably not going to a good team. You're probably not going to an ideal situation. I just wonder how much of Jacob Eason is that guy, even though we see the big arms, some of the passing tools that we really love, um, being able to hit all three layers of the field, that stuff that exists in his game. I'm just hesitant on how much I believe in that. And then the other national guy that uh, I I seem to not be the biggest fan of as as much as other people are, T. Higgins. I think Ooh, that he's good, don't T. get me wrong, but I worry about how much Higgins can separate. I worry about how much that's going to affect him at the next level. He's great when he's catching in those contested situations, but in terms of going up against a wide receiver class that's really stacked with a lot of really good players, playing a guy who might limit himself on a catch-to-catch basis based on how he separates. Even if I do think that he has the skills and size to catch strong through contact, I'm more hesitant on him than others. I mean, I see T. Higgins for some people who he's in there like top 10, top 20. I'm not there. I think he's a top 75 player, probably a top 50 player even overall. But um, in terms of like that kind of hype, like him being bona fide, almost top half of the first round with some of these other wide receivers like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, CeeDee Lamb, I'm just not there on T Higgins. So those are probably the two highest guys that, that I'm not as big on as, as other people might be.
1: I'm not going to debate you. If you think a guy can't separate, I that's we've preached on this podcast, a ton separation is King. You have, you have to have that first. Uh, and then the rest comes later. It's almost like accuracy for a quarterback. It, it's a yeah. non-starter. If you can't separate at the NFL level, I want to touch on Eason though, just for a second, because I think I've had the same concerns with him that when you said the situation is perfect and that, Washington offensive line one of the best offensive lines in the country. He has mm-hmm. like a different quarterback under pressure. Like th- he he has legitimate concerns. He has that almost Jared Goff-esque panic where uh you know, free runners in his face and that ball comes out and it does not come out well. Uh and is not is not doesn't look poised when he faces pressure. Actually a 50.7 passing grade this year when under pressure. How much do you weigh and we've here at PFF Preach sort of, you know, clean pocket passing is Mm -hmm. more stable than under pressure passing. But how much do you weigh sort of that? uh, How a guy reacts to pressure? Do you do you buy into that? That clean pocket passing is more uh, important? Or do you think that how a guy reacts to pressure, how they handle that uh, is very telling of how they'll perform in the NFL?
2: Well, one happens more than the other. Right. And so just like number of opportunities says that, okay, if you have a more clean pocket, if you're getting the ball out a little bit sooner, whether it's by design or whatever the defense is showing you. Then those situations are going to happen hopefully a lot more than off script ones. You know, hopefully your <laughs> offensive line isn't isn't making you bail out all the time. But I do think there's something to certainly playing that off script, like when things tend to go wrong, if a defensive end just happens to whoop up on a tackle, or if the interior guys, some of the guys that we talked about, get great pressure and you've got to get off kilter and, and move left or right. Those situations are going to happen. And a lot of times, those are the situations where turnovers are born, right? And if we talk about the turnover differential being so crucial, especially in the NFL for a starting quarterback, if you can't at least handle yourself, you don't got to be Russell Wilson outside the pocket, right? I mean, like, we're not asking Jacob Easton to be Russell Wilson. We're just not asking him to throw the ball uh, to the other team as much as he is, maybe like, like what Jameis Winston is down in Tampa Bay, right? That's what we need to avoid. And so even if you might not be the best guy off platform or outside of a clean pocket, if you will, as long as you aren't straight panicking, (laughs) you can kind of deal with that. But if you do, you know, if those eyes just get wide and you, you all of a sudden your brain doesn't know how to do it and you just, you, you chuck it into double coverage or something, you're turning the ball over. That's where I think that we, we get into some trouble. So in terms of, what a quarterback's rating might be when they have a clean pocket. Those are the situations that happen more in the game. So you certainly have to take that with more weight. I think what's most important about when things go off script is just not turning the ball over, not totally panicking and being careless with the ball.
0: I would agree 100. percent Looking at kind of under pressure play, like Mike said, clean pocket per- passing performance, you know, kind of correlates to future success. But you can't be terrible under pressure because I think when you are under pressure, there are way more opportunities to have that roller coaster play, whether it's off script and something fantastic oh, oh. or you know, off script and something terrible like an interception. Well, and I
1: also think that the the bigger thing for a college quarterback is if you're seeing pressure when there's not pressure. True. That,
0: that's that's the worst. That's the ghosts, bigger red flag. Yes. Yeah,
1: the, the ghost. Yes. That's a bigger red flag than if you're Just bad under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that to me would
0: that be that. Bailing out of clean pockets yeah, early. That's tough. reacting yeah, that's a big to that. I've heard I've heard other people say reacting kind of phantom pressure, ghost pressure. If we want to bring yeah. Darnold back into it, we can yeah. do that. But uh I definitely agree with you there, Mike. Um you know that's gonna kind of do it for you, Trev. That's all we really want to know. We want to know who you're high on more than most and lower on than others. But um, we really appreciate you coming on. We really appreciate you diving into the draft network and your role there. And we're definitely looking forward to you are our first guest on Two for One Drafts. But we're done, definitely gonna have to get you back on maybe at season's end or as we ramp up the pre-draft process.
2: No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all have been killing this draft process. I've really enjoyed following you guys. It's kind of a weird timing because. My updated big board, my updated rankings are actually going to come out in a couple of days, so I'm sure I'm going to have somebody on the list that I'm going to be like, ah, I should have said this on the show, but uh, that, that'll that just hopefully give me more incentive to come back and chat with you guys. Try
0: not to put all of Purdue in the top 100. I know it's not going to be easy, but try and, if
2: you can, that'd be great. I don't know how we got here, but I guess I got to go get my master's at Purdue now. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Trev. Have a good one. All right. See you guys. Well, That was great talking
0: to Trevor from the Draft Network. Mm-hmm. I think I was what I was most impressed with is that player evaluation strategy they do that have there. That's it's not necessarily group thing, but they're so collaborative in what they want to do and how mm-hmm. they're evaluating these prospects. What they what it sounds like they do with their consensus board and all the things that's going through. I think a lot of effort is being put into their player evaluation. I think I, I came away really impressed with that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, they don't have like one guy at the top. Like every other evaluation whatever has a guy Mm -hmm. like we here at pff i I, it's you it's me like in a front office it's a gm they're just kind of pure collaboration pure like averaging of minds instead of one minds you know sort of controlling which is an interesting interesting approach we'll Mm -hmm. see if like that has better results than a purely you know there's been studies that the the knowledge of a group or the knowledge of large numbers of people is better than just one person, one expert Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of different areas. And so getting more people and that, uh, Gosh, what's the word crowdsourcing. Yeah, that crowdsourcing yeah. that knowledge uh, is, is proven to be more uh, accurate than just pure one expert. So I do think that'll be interesting to see how that ends up uh, playing out.
0: His love for Purdue is also interesting. Diving yeah. into Marcus Bailey and tight end that Bryce Hopkins. One. Purdue yeah. fans, don't yeah, even Purdue love fans, Purdue. <laughs> Purdue fans don't even love Purdue. But we'll definitely have to get Trevor back on the podcast. Yeah. That was uh, that was fun. But before we do that, we're gonna dive into some draft specials. Draft spooky. Specials for the podcast here. We're talking about some rookies that we haven't brought up a ton on previous uh, episodes of the podcast, but we want mm-hmm. to get into these guys level set on where these guys are. Let's start with O'Shane Jimenez. Mm-hmm.
1: 11 pressures on the air. And so 11 pressures on 146 pass rushes. It's not great, but he has had good games. He had four pressures against Washington, three pressures against Tampa Bay. Uh, but it's just disappeared since then. Only two pressures in his last four games on almost uh, 80 pass rushing snaps. That's not great. Uh, so I, I do think the worry with him was one he was undersized coming out at six foot four, two fifty two, and he actually came to the Senior Bowl at about two forty two, and so he got to two fifty two uh, later on in the process and was already you know older. It was I think a senior or either redshirt senior in twenty two coming out of college? So it was undersized. And then capped out, did not test well athletically, and so guys, undersized and unathletic, you just worry about that being as good as he's ever going to be, and never being necessarily better. So I don't think that uh, I think that you would have rather him started his career hot if it was going to happen with him, if he really was going to be, you know, a, a quality edge rusher in the NFL. I think you would have been seeing it earlier because he looked so polished as a pass rusher coming out of Old Dominion. Now, the competition level jump is probably a big factor in that as well. Like maybe it's time to it will take some time for him to get adjusted and you will see a turn on for him down the stretch here. But uh, so far, only 62.3 pass rushing grade hasn't been great.
0: Yeah, that is unfortunate. I think so. When you talk about a guy that maybe isn't grading well as well to start, you want to see that happen early doors. But. That competition, Jump, I don't think can be understated. I mean you're going no, you're yeah, going from old Dominion, future Uber drivers at left and right tackle to the NFL, where these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to stop you from getting to the quarterback. I think I'm not super surprised by the low pass rush you know, pass rushing production out of the mm-hmm. gate, but I will say I wouldn't give up on him yet. I wouldn't give up on him yet. I think he can yeah. grow from a technique standpoint and, and continue to get better, get bigger. I think an NFL weight room compared to Old Dominion's is probably a little bit better. The food schedule's maybe more interesting <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's great insight on O'Shane. Uh, O'Shane. I want to talk also about Ed Oliver. He was a guy that I feel like was so hyped up before the draft. A lot of people loved his explosiveness, a freaky athlete. You saw like those home videos of him doing like cutting up an agility ladder or whatever it may be. Right now, though. Has not been super productive as a pass rusher to start, and even his run defense isn't up there with some of the better rookies so far. Dexter Lawrence outplaying Ed Oliver by Mm -hmm. a significant margin to start this year. What are you seeing from him? He's playing a majority three technique. It's not like he's miscast at nose anymore. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing from him? I am
1: actually very encouraged by a start. So 66.6 pass rushing grade doesn't sound incredible. 15 pressures again. Nothing, uh, nothing light not laying the world on fire by any means, but I thought with how raw he was coming out of Houston, how much he had just had to change in terms of his stance, uh, his pass rushing moves, all this stuff. I, I, I think the high level plays that we've seen from him are very encouraging because uh, he looks like a very different player, just his play style all those things that he had to change, he has changed. And so that's such a different, uh, it's such a big adjustment for him in the level of competition. He has the same level of competition adjustment that O'Shane did. And for him to be hitting the ground with all this, with as much flux as he had as a true junior coming out, you know, as only a third year player, I think is very encouraging that he's still playing at about an average NFL level. Mm 66.6 grade is about average for the interior as a pass rusher in the NFL as a defensive tackle. So I do think that all that put together, I, I think that he's a guy who you'll see progress by leaps and bounds in the coming years, and this is a very good start.
0: I think that's interesting. I don't know if a lot of people would have, have that take, but I think when you do turn on the film, the explosiveness is still there. The elite oh, athleticism no, okay. is still there. Getting better from a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. I think, is with every week, getting a little bit better stances, yeah. getting better, passers moves, etc. Um, going forward here on our spooky draft specials, Malik Reed, another one of those edge defenders that kind of needs to take I feel like take the next step and didn't come in or like similar to O'Shane Jimenez and not super undersized a bit yeah, super undersized, super undersized and I feel like out of the gate has had some success though pressures are, are coming in bunches for him
1: yeah so he's 6'2 235 really just got thrust in because Bradley Chubb got hurt uh and so he's played over 50 snaps each of the last four weeks now he beat up the Chargers so he had seven pressures against the Chargers but it's the Chargers offensive yeah. line. It's one of the worst. Trent Scott. Yeah. And, it, it was,
0: it, it's not good.
1: It was ugly there. So I, I think the encouraging thing for him is he looks good in run defense. Uh, he has been you know, solid in that regard. A guy who's 235 comes in. You don't expect him to be much versus the run, but he's playing you know, assignment sure football at this point. 73.5 run defense grade. Only 61.5 pass versus grade. I just don't think he's ever going to be that guy. I think he should be. His ideal role, if you really want to play him on the edge, would be a pure... 3-4 outside linebacker where he's dropping into coverage more. We evaluated him even as an off-ball linebacker just because I'm like, I, I just don't think he's going to play edge. You just can't do that at that size in the NFL. So I, I think we're kind of seeing that from a pass rushing perspective. I just don't foresee him... That ever being his best position.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're six foot two, 235 pounds, it's going to be so difficult for you to hold your own along the yeah. edge, especially when you're being asked to pass rush as much as he is. 146 pass rush snaps so far, just 15 total pressures, a 61.5 pass rush grade. I think you're 100% right. then his role needs to be. A lot more versatile. He can't just be thrown at the quarterback mm-hmm. every play. He's not going to be a guy that can win at this at the level you need him to for him to be playing at an above-average level. Going to the Oakland Raiders, another edge defender. A ton of edge defenders, defensive linemen at the top of the spooky draft specials here. What is spooky is Max Crosby's outplaying Cleveland Farrell. That's, <laughs> that's pretty spooky if you're an Oakland Raiders faithful right now. Looking at Max Crosby and how he's performed, I think he's performed above expectation considering where he was drafted. Mm-hmm. I still think... 17 total pressures. He's still not winning super quickly. That's the problem. I think a lot of his pressures are those cleanup pursuit pressures where you're not getting high pass rush grades, but you are getting the pressure production. I'd like to see him win more quickly, but I will say this. I think he does have enough athleticism and enough tools to get to that level down the road. No, and the thing is, uh,
1: he looks uh, a lot stronger than I thought he was coming out of Eastern Michigan. He just had no bull rush whatsoever even against college tackles coming out there uh and now he still doesn't have much of a bull rush uh, at the nfl level but i just think in terms of run defense holding his own against offensive linemen he got a little more pop and so I, you're encouraged by that still a young guy too i think he's only a junior coming out only 21 years old coming out so he has the athleticism the productions middling you know only a 57.4 pass rushing grade it's not been good by any means but i think he's still Uh, You see reps on tape where you're like, oh, that's something. And he has the ideal athleticism, has the ideal size, ideal length that uh, I think he could progress. And the fact that he's playing about the same level as Cleland Farrell tells you about all you need to know about Cleland Farrell.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate. I I will say that I think He looks like a guy like you. You spoke to those reps on tape. When you see those reps on tape, that you can start to kind of predict Mm -hmm. future pass rush success. Because if you can show it like he has, you're 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 a little bit more excited than with Cleveland Farrell. You're still kind of waiting to see some of those marquee reps. Are like, okay, there it is. There's that Cleveland Farrell that can win with with consistency.
1: Or even the next guy we're gonna talk about here.
0: Yeah, Montez Sweat of the Washington Redskins, that edge defender, also drafted in the first round, has not had success to start this year and when we were watching montez sweat before the draft the mississippi state product you loved the speed you saw the athleticism instantly but i think against good competition he struggled and he really only won with that pure speed rush up up upfield and outside he did not have the technical hands and things like that where he could win consistently like other edge defenders. and this
1: goes back to the bradley and a conversation he didn't have a plan he had no it was he was just going upfield and then attacking the quarterback. There was no real feel to his pass rushing moves. And he just looks like a chicken with his head cut off here playing for the Redskins. He has 11 pressures, but only went through and watched all, only one was a true one-on-one versus tackle. And it came kind of on a slant inside move where they were blitzing off the edge. And he got inside a left tackle. I was against the Patriots. Um, really it's just no wins for one-on-one versus offense tackle so far this year as a pass rusher on 175 pass rushing snaps. That's bad.
0: It's, it's bad. And also, bad. uh, uh, not surprising. I, I think if you yeah. we went on to Montez sweats tape at Mississippi State, you were going to say, yeah, this guy's a great one-on-one pass rusher. He can win with an array of moves. You're like, no, this guy's freaky athletic. I, and I th- don't see him, you know, I, but I don't see that pass rush nuance that you need to really win in the NFL with consistency.
1: I think the word I used on him was clunky. It just, when he rushes the passer, it looks like, uh, it looks like a robot got taught to rush the passer. Um, it was just... It, Something of was off about it. And mm-hmm. I think something's very much been off his rookie season. 51.7 pass rush degree. One of the worst in the NFL right now.
0: Dude, the pass rushers right now it has been, it's been a struggle to get good production out of these guys. I think a lot yeah. of people had high expectations for this pass rush group. A ton of defensive linemen taken in the first round. The only one, or the only, I feel like the only three that are really delivering. Yeah. Bosa, uh, Nick Bosa, the San Francisco 49ers, Josh Allen, Jacksonville Jags, and Brian Burns, Carolina, are the only three that are really producing at a high level out of the gate. All of these other guys, from a pass rushing perspective, Cleveland Farrell, Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary battling injuries, Mm -hmm. but even on his limited snaps, has not played well. LJ Collier, again, (sighs) limited sample size, 29 pass rush snaps, zero pressures, zero pass rush wins. He has not had a ton of success. I mean, the fact
1: that he can't even see the field is telling there.
0: Yes. How about
1: if we just... For a second. The Seahawks last two first round picks can't even see the field for that team. Just that's tough. That is tough. And with the Seahawks defensive line, it's not good. Mm -hmm. He can't see
0: the field. That's a concern. I mean, I know you oh, had yeah. you had high hopes on LJ. That <laughs> you had a huge high hopes on LJ Collier. You liked his bull rush. He was moves. one of those we guys. We watched tape in there uh, or in the in the in the conference room. We were saying, you know what? I all I see is a bull rush from this guy. But you, I remember you saying, I think he can win with that bull rush with consistency, yeah. similar to like a Cameron Jordan uh-huh. at the next level.
1: And then he was one of those guys where I was like, I feel very high on him compared to the rest of you know population. And I was like, he was like maybe like fiftieth on our board. Mm-hmm. And then he goes 27th, and I'm like, oh, that's a little too high. Like I'm like, okay, I like him. Mm -hmm. I don't like him that much. That was crazy. That's
0: always that always sucks too. You like a guy more than most people, (laughs) and then he goes way earlier. And and that's actually
1: actually how I felt about Rashad Penny last year. I was like, oh, Rashad Penny, you know, I think he's like one of the top three running backs in this class. All of a sudden, he goes first round. Like, Ugh. yeah,
2: he's uh, not that
0: bad. Sam Monson though did say he's a first round talent. Let's not bring that article up. But here we are. <laughs> um, let's go to linebackers. Devin Bush of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think I've seen PFF's mentions rip us apart for grading Devin Bush to where he is right now, but. I will say this: that he had the production. Though the tackles are there, he is getting targeted a ton mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh's defense. He has a ton of volume, and I think with that volume, I think he has struggled in bits with some mis- some missed tackles, allowing passes and coverage. I think in zone, he's really struggled he's compared slow. to man.
1: He, he just uh, processing in zone. You can see him. You can see the wheels turning mm-hmm. in his head. You can hear him. You can, yeah, you can basically see his thought process as he's going through passing off routes, what he's looking at. And that has not been good. He has a 50.1 grade in zone coverage, a 90.0 grade in man coverage. Like, that is, he is built to play in a man coverage scheme. He can stick with guys. He's he built to s- see ball, get ball. Yeah, not
0: necessarily sit back there and really calculate simple
1: things. assignment, and that's what they did in Michigan. They played almost exclusively man coverage there. Uh, when they didn't, they were playing something like cover two. He was not asked to r- run a sort of complicated... Uh, zone, you know, match zone stuff there at Michigan. He was just let your athleticism take over, and when they've allowed him that in Pittsburgh, it's been excellent. I mean, he is he can hold up with a slot receiver Mm -hmm. if he wants. He had some great uh, coverage plays running the seam there for them, uh, for the Steelers, but yeah, I think you just see the zone coverage uh, has not quite been there, but I I mean, it's encouraging. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not going to like the fact that he is as good as he is in man coverage is still the more valuable sort of thing that we can come back to. The man coverage is the more valuable uh, skill to have.
0: And he's graded better in recent weeks, and I think that processing will get better over time mm-hmm. as he plays more and more in that scheme. I will say this, that I think Devin Bush, when he is in that C-ball, get-ball role, he's one of the better young linebackers in the NFL yes. because he's so fast and so athletic. He's also a bulldog. made some great he's, plays he's, against he's screens. He's made some great plays against screens, scraping offensive linemen and beating people in the backfield. I think he has great potential and I think as he gets better and his his instincts, specifically his processing ability in those zone schemes I think he's going to get mm-hmm. a lot better I'd be we'd be remiss not to bring up the other Devin though we were talking Devin Bush yeah. talk to me about what you've seen yeah, from we, Devin White he we touched has not, on him he has not graded well at, so far this year he we, we talked on him on the Tuesday podcast but Devin Bush and Devin White was a huge conversation before the draft where are you seeing that duo right now
1: yeah, I mean, Devin White, well, you still see athletics. He's still very athletic. You knew it wasn't going to be great in run defense. Hasn't been great in run defense. But I just think we haven't... One, we haven't seen a lot of him. We've only seen four games from him so far this year. and only In one of those games, he only played six snaps. Uh, and two, he just has not made breaks on balls in coverage. has been, like Devin Bush, a step slow uh, in a lot of regards. So the, worry, the more worrisome thing for me, though, is as a pass rusher, he hasn't been getting home. Uh, only a 46.3 pass rushing really? grade on 16 snaps. He's only gotten home once for a hurry. Uh, that was supposed to be his bread and butter. I, I thought we'd see more from him uh, in that regard, hopefully going forward. But again, three and a half games from him. So we'll, we'll another off.
0: young, awful linebacker, a rookie in this case that people are kind of like, some people are big fans of. Jelani Tavai of the Detroit Lions One has been pretty terrible. Ta- his his <laughs> tackling terrible. ability is awful. Seven missed tackles in, in in all the games so far across 287 defensive snaps. He has just a 59.5 overall grade. He's a guy quite opposite to Devin Bush is not getting targeted at all in the scheme that they're asking him to play.
1: Yeah, so seven missed tackles on 28 attempts, which is 20, so he's missing a quarter of his tackles on the season. That's bad, uh, one. And the thing is like he's, their athleticism misses where like, they're not four misses where it's like, hey, maybe we could fix this. He he just like isn't staying with guys and like mirroring guys. He's not athletic enough. And he, that was the thing coming out. They liked him because he was this hybrid, oh, he can rush the passer, and he can kind of drop into coverage and do that, and he can kind of play the run too and have that versatility. But he hasn't graded out well in any of those regards. As a pass rusher, only a 51.3 pass rushing grade uh, so far, really adding nothing in that. And they play him in that. Uh, You know, if you think of Kyle Van Noy in the Patriots game where he's an edge, sometimes drops off, sometimes like uh, that. So they can three man rush and that sort of stuff that Matt Patricia and the Belichick disciples do. uh, But you're not making an impact. Mm -hmm. He's not making an impact. Go get a Kyle Van Noy for nothing. And what's interesting is if if you
0: look at the week one game against Arizona, he had 26 pass rush snaps, four total pressures, not a great grade, but they did throw him at. You know the the, mm-hmm. the the offense a ton, and it, since then he hasn't rushed the passer more than five times in any one game. Yeah. Having him kick back in coverage a lot more, and it hasn't been great. I mean, he's missing tackles in coverage a few times. He is targeted, and like you said, from an athletic standpoint, is a liability. I mean, he's just not. Doesn't have great change of direction, doesn't have great speed. And I think with that being said, when you ask him to play this kind of role, you're going to get those athleticism misses both from a missed tackle standpoint and just in coverage overall, allowing receptions, et cetera. Um, Yeah, interesting with Jelani Tavai. He's not in the same world as Devin Bush and Devin White, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Even those guys still have a lot of room to grow in the NFL. Let's go to the secondary. Kansas City Chiefs safety, deep safety. He's been playing a lot of free safety for them, who played cornerback at the University of Virginia, then played a little bit of safety down towards the end there for for Virginia, Juan Thornhill. I think first thing that jumped out at me when we watched the tape together, he misses a ton of tackles.
1: Yeah, he has bad tackling form uh, for sure. Not a lot of doesn't really drive his feet through, kind of just jumps, gets to a standstill and dives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he has seven misses on 39 attempts, uh, a lot of them of the fairly ugly variety. But... This, the, after that, first thing that jumped off on tape, I think the second thing that jumped off on tape was uh, some of his plays in the back end. Uh, the pick he had against the Texans oh, it was yes. downright absurd. There's not You can count the amount of safeties in the NFL that can do that, probably on two hands. There's just not a lot of athletes that are going to make that play basically one-on-one with an all-out blitz, and he carries a seam all the way 40 yards down the field. Uh, a very difficult route to defend, picks the ball off, and, and, and I think his range on the back end is very obvious. He's right up there in his coverage prowess with Darnell Savage for the top safeties in his class uh, at the moment, in my opinion. So I do, I do think that perspective, he's been very good. So we'll forgive some tackling. woes. Well. So we don't really mind too much about that. If you have the kind of, especially with the role he's he playing, because he's yes. playing so
0: much deep safety, he's not being asked to play in the exactly. box and defend the run a ton. I will say this though. You'd like to see him more in those one-on-one situations, getting targeted and, and that coverage yeah. ability, playing deep safety as much as he is. He's not, you know, not in that position like he was mm-hmm. against the Houston Texans to make that interception. I'd like to see him t- see some more one on ones because I think he's good in that area. No,
1: yeah, I mean, like he could legitimately, if you were more of a man coverage team, he could be your, he you could play one on one against tight end all day. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be very good at that. But yeah, they really haven't used him in that sort of role.
0: Jimmy Moreland. A guy that you fell in love with out of James Madison. A dog chasing a meat truck, I think mm. is what you've described him as. He's a bulldog. Gets off blocks really well. He, find, he finds he, the Yes, he, ref, he refuses to get blocked in one-on-one situations against wide receivers. Very good he's a very defense. aggressive player. Has had some struggles here and there, but I think what we've seen from him on tape has been a lot of what we saw at James Madison. I think he's the same player, and it, with that being said, I think he mm-hmm. has a ton of potential in this league. No,
1: very encouraging start for
0: him. Uh, now, some of the losses have been
1: ugly. Uh, when you, when they asked him to go outside and press, you know, a guy like, Cody oh, Ladmer, right. uh, he just, I mean, he's not going to be an outside cornerback in the NFL. I just don't think so at, at five foot ten, one hundred seventy nine 179 pounds, you, if you leave him one-on-one against a guy who weighs 210 pounds, you, we just saw it, like I said, with Cody Latimer, just right off the snap throws him to the side. And, and, and you he saw has it again, no recourse. Too. He, yeah.
0: had, he did, had a slot snap against, yeah. uh, press against Allen Robinson yeah. and, and and just got absolutely toasted at the line of scrimmage. So
1: that's not going to be his game, but his change of direction, his ability to break on passes underneath and break on screens as well has been fantastic so far this year. I think that's his skill set. And so I do, th- I, I do think he has, uh, what we've seen from him so far is, looks like he could be one of the better slot corners in the nfl you know fairly soon here
0: that's good that's really good high praise mm, for the guy high praise. don't just put him in press against alan robinson but yeah you'll be all right yeah that's going to do it for our draft spooky specials the halloween edition where john dorsey aka mike renner here and baker mayfield myself have been it's been a, it's been a great pod talking with trevor and also going over these rookies and stuff it's going to be exciting moving forward but that's going to do it for this episode of two for one drafts this has been mike renner and austin gale make sure to tune in next week on Tuesday tomorrow.